This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, as always, Dr. Andy Johnson. The topic of today's podcast is very timely. It's called How to Teach Reading. So how do we go about the business of teaching children to read? Well, we don't. Instead, we create the conditions whereby children can learn to read and develop their reading skills. As I've said time and time again, children learn to read and write in the same way that they learn to speak and listen. And that's by being immersed in the language and by having adults around who respond to them in appropriate ways. In this sense, we would be more accurate if we called ourselves reading condition creators instead of reading teachers. So here are some tips to keep in mind as we create the conditions. Tip number one, help children fall in love with books. Reading is pleasurable. When I do it, I want to do more of it. There are wonderful stories and interesting characters found in books. I can experience magic, adventure, romance, moral dilemmas, comedy, tragedy, triumph, failure, success. I can learn about interesting things, zip back and forth through time, and travel to the farthest reaches of the galaxy. So a teacher or tutor's number one job is to help children fall in love with books. Tip number two, create a space every day for sustained silent reading. Just like learning to play a musical instrument, children who are learning to read get better at it by practicing. For example, after a few piano lessons, little Billy would know which squiggly little mark on the page corresponded with the correct black and white keys on the piano. However, if he never practiced, he'd never get beyond the stage of plodding along, stumbling and stopping. To him, the musical text would seem like a series of single notes instead of musical passages. There'd be little pleasure in playing the piano, as he would never be able to play and express whole musical ideas. This is exactly what happens if we don't provide ample time for students to practice their reading. I'm going to hit you over the head with this many times in my podcast, but providing 10 to 50 or 60 minutes of silent, uninterrupted reading time is one of the best things you can do for students of all ages. Likewise, one of the surest ways to impede children's reading progress and limit their intellectual development is to deprive them of opportunities to engage in real reading experiences. Yet, in the glorious name of phonics and standardized testing, This is what often happens. Recent studies have shown that primary children, primary age children, spend as little as 10 minutes a day engaged in authentic reading experiences, and that is not a good thing. Tip number three, allow children to make choices about their reading material. Choice is important in helping readers grow. Reading is more pleasurable when we're able to make choices about what we read. Most of the time, adults are allowed to choose their own reading material. We can go to the library and select any book we want. At the bookstore, 
Nobody assigns me to groups or makes me find books at a certain level or yells at me for reading ahead. If we become enthralled with an author, we can read as many of that author's books as we want. Likewise, if we find a book to be boring or uninteresting, we can also choose not to read it. Children need to be able to make the same kinds of choices about their reading material. Not all the time, but much of the time. Choice doesn't mean total choice all the time, but it means some choices some of the time. Tip number four, connect reading pleasure to reading practice. A simple behaviorist principle is that if we find something to be enjoyable, a positive reinforcement, we are more likely to do that thing again. If we find something to be boring, frustrating, or meaningless, an aversive conditioner, we are also less likely to do that thing. In this sense, we are not so far removed from rats running around in Skinner boxes. Now, if reading is a behavior that leads to improved reading ability, wouldn't it follow that we would try to make reading instruction as pleasurable as possible? In the same way, if the act of reading is linked to instruction that students find unpleasant, unpleasant or disagreeable, they'll be less inclined to engage in future reading behavior. So, in answer to the question, why can't Johnny read it's often because we give them very little time in school to actually practice reading. And we frustrated or bored the pants off him during what is laughingly called reading instruction. Tip number five, keep your reading program simple. In all areas, rigor is not the same as complexity. Just because a literacy program is complicated, uses a lot of big words, contains flashy graphs and pictures, has a detailed scope and sequence chart, includes an elaborate assessment plan, and costs lots of money, doesn't mean it's worth any of it. In fact, the three most effective literacy instruction devices ever invented are very simple things. A good book, paper with lines on it, and number two lead pencils. The only other thing to add to this list is a teacher who understands children, learning, and literacy. And of course, a whole bunch of books that children want to read. Tip number six, keep instruction simple. Good teachers make things as simple as possible. In this way, they're like gymnasts. Gymnasts are able to perform complicated moves and make them look simple. Circus performers make simple moves look difficult. As teachers, we want to be gymnasts, not circus performers. Tip number seven, make reading like real life. The kind of reading and writing we have children do in school should be very much like the kind that adults do in real life situations. In my adult life, I read for pleasure or to understand ideas and information. I write to organize my thoughts, to express ideas, and to convey important information to others. I have never had to separate words into syllables, identify a plot, conflict, or resolution in a story, or describe an author's purpose, or identify diphthongs, or diagraphs, or initial clusters, or medial clusters, and the schwa sound. 
I've never had to identify CVC letter patterns or find topic sentences in paragraphs. By the way, if you examine paragraphs in newspapers, magazines, and books, you'll find that most paragraphs actually don't have topic sentences. So, I've found no research to indicate that having children do these things improves their ability to read or to process text or to express their ideas on paper. So, why do we continue to spend precious time in our classroom doing these silly things? For the same reason we do much of what we do in education, because it's always been done that way. It's not that some of these things may not have some value, Rather, these things should be put in perspective and kept at a minimum. Tip number eight, include talk and other forms of social interaction. Talk and social interaction enhances learning of any kind. Children need to talk to each other about what they're reading and share their ideas and insights with others. In this way, the stories come to life. Children gain insight and ideas from others and language learning is enhanced. So, putting it all together, to keep children moving along the path toward becoming mature readers and writers, this is a fairly simple thing. We need to provide them with large chunks of time to read enjoyable books, invite them to write about their ideas, and encourage them to share their insights and ideas with other students. Small bits of instruction should then be provided along the way. As teachers, we need to do more listening and looking and less talking and testing. This has been the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson.